I don't know how much you can talk about this, but what does Netflix actually use GraphQL for? With Shopify and GitHub, there's the public GraphQL APIs that I'm sure most people know. And there's also some internal use of GraphQL, at least the GitHub that I that was there when, when I was there, which we can also get into. But I'm really curious at Netflix, is there a public GraphQL API or is it all just for your own sort of first party clients? And then how does that change your approach to building a GraphQL API? if you control the clients rather than having a public API? That's a really good question. Yeah, uh, Netflix doesn't have a, a public API, uh, so it's all internal use cases. And it does change changes things a lot. It's, it's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. it, it's still really hard, but it's a lot easier than serving a public API. You do whatever you want. Exactly. <laughs> so every, everything related to um, deprecations it's still hard, but a lot easier with, than with a public API, right? Like at GitHub, you deprecate a field and who knows for how long you'll have to battle existing clients to move up that field. At least internally, we can we can go straight to the source generally. Honestly, at that scale, though, it starts approaching the complexity of a public API because uh, there's so many clients. So we still need tooling to be able to email teams that are using deprecated fields. Uh, we still make sure like every client and every subgraph is like registered. We have like their contact info, where their things are deployed, where their code are. So like tracking these things, super important, a sufficient scale even internally. And then I would say the other difference is kind of how you designed your schemas. With a, with a public API, you always need to stay a bit more on the generic side of things because you don't know exactly what people are going to build. So you can't start with like, you can start with what you think people will use your API for, but there's like surprising applications out there that use the GitHub API in all sorts of wild ways. So you always need to be a bit more generic, allow for things you don't know. I think that's a good pattern in general, but for internal APIs, you can usually be more like working with existing clients that can tell you what their use cases are, example queries, and build your schemas in a much more specific way, which is awesome, honestly, uh, to just build an API that's like built for a use case rather than just exposing like, hey, here's my data. You can try to do stuff with that. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. I remember I worked on some schema changes at GitHub when I was there, and it was really tricky to design something that was generic enough to just be used externally, right? And we weren't even that concerned about the generic outside use case, but still we had to spend a lot of time or not had to, we wanted to spend a lot of time making sure that the API was as generic as possible, even if it was maybe a, a little bit too generic for the use case that we had specifically, right? Yep. The, the team that I was on. Do you think schema design in general like has come to like a point where people are starting to do the same things? Or is it still a wild, wild west in how schemas are being built? And I know you've blogged about this a lot, especially when it comes to mutations and just everything when it comes to like how this this these types are all like laid out in in the companies you worked with are you seeing some type of like you know just similar patterns emerging yeah i i think there are patterns we're in a much better place we were a couple of years ago i think there are certain things like uh, the relay kind of like schema patterns like connections for pagination and like those global ids that i see pretty much almost everywhere, not everywhere, but it, they're fairly common, which we're, I'm very thankful for, honestly. <laughs> like that's at least one thing I've seen, pagination. People that use GraphQL are used to cursor pagination now, thanks to their relay connections. They're used to kind of like those edge types, wrapper types, which I think are 
so key for schema evolution down the line. So I really like that pattern is there. Um, there's other stuff, especially errors, I think, that everybody is still wondering about. Like there's some patterns emerging, like that union pattern. But even within companies, I see kind of like different patterns emerging. So yeah, I'm I'm curious what you what you guys think about this because some people have considered a like should we have a more specific spec like here's how like error types should be and like pagination should be I, on in some ways that would be really nice and others you're kind of now restricting freedom from certain GraphQL APIs you know even within Netflix sometimes we hesitate giving like hard recommendations that can't be derived from because there are certain use cases where you a relay connection just doesn't work or like the error union doesn't make sense. So um, to answer your question, though, I I think we're in a much better place for sure. But there's still so much work to be done, especially if we see more and more public GraphQL APIs. I think there's enormous value in having kind of like known patterns so that when I integrate with a GraphQL API, I don't need to like scratch my head like, okay, what is this error? I need to spread fragments and like, how do I, what is cursor-based pagination? I think that's better. But yeah, I think I think the public needs to see more internal APIs because that's where things get more creative and context-based, right? You're starting to see public APIs all look the same because everyone else is looking at everyone else's API to see what's the right thing to do. That's true. But no one shares their public API, which has like, you know, weird names and like things that you'll never understand if you didn't work there, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, 